Hello and welcome back to the 1001 Uses for Macaroni and Cheese podcast. Uh, no, welcome back to the Men You Are Not Alone podcast. This is episode 40. It is in a solo episode. This one is about isolation versus solitude and the importance of solitude and the damage of isolation in a man's life. And I want to start off by defining isolation because a lot of people kind of get them confused. They sort of... Uh, intertwine solitude and isolation together. They're very different beasts. So isolation, by isolation, I mean where you withdraw from the world and you shut it off with no intention of returning. It's just, bam, the wall goes up. You want nothing else to do with the world. You're not going to let it in. You have completely disengaged. You are backing out of the culture. You are backing out of social interaction, something like that. That is destructive to men. If you're doing that, stop doing that. It's not going to bear good fruit in your life. Solitude, on the other hand, is a time to get away. It's a momentary period. It could be protracted. It could be very brief. It could be a couple hours. It could be multiple weeks, months. It could be a year. It sort of depends on what a person needs. And so by solitude, I mean a time where you can get away, you shut down the world, and you reflect. And you may not do that with intention, or let me don't let me rephrase that. You do that with intention, but you don't necessarily make that the goal of your day. You just create opportunity where you are you have shut down the world and you're quiet. In a time of quiet and reflection, I think that is why men love to fish. It's why we love to go to remote areas. It's why we like to get away. We don't have to have a lot of activity to do while we're doing it. In fact, most of us don't want a bunch of activity to do while we're doing it. And if you get away, and, and I've referenced in the last, in a recent episode about just the rhythmic, mindless motion of a, of a, a spinning reel throwing a fly out on the water. It rarely has anything to do with catching a fish. It has to do with that mindless activity, typically where you are doing something with your hands because men relate. Well, men tend to think better when their hands are busy. It's it's just an odd thing. At least I would say that's true of most men, which is why we like to tinker. We like to work on cars. Um, if we're having a bad day, we don't necessarily want to tackle the transmission rebuild or pulling a transfer case out of something or redoing the whole suspension on something. But swapping spark plugs, changing the oil, something mindless like washing a car engine, uh, that kind of stuff. Standing out in the yard spraying water as if we're going to make a difference by just spraying water. Washing down a driveway. Those kind of things. Those offer us moments of solitude where our hands are busy doing something that is at least mildly productive, but it doesn't require any thought. And in the meantime, our brain can unpack the day. It can assess where we are, where we've come from, and where we'd like to be in the future. And, and knowing that our plans, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men can fall apart. But nonetheless, it is a sense of casting a vision forward for your life. And that is what I mean by solitude. And so isolation is what I have seen really grip 
at least in the United States over the last couple of years, isolation, because I am a, I'm a people person and I am the guy that is typically organizing something for people to go do. A few months ago, I was just bored and it was, it's winter time. And I said to heck with it, let's go hiking. And so I put a couple of hiking ventures together. The first hiking venture I put together a scavenger hunt out in the mountains. In the not in the mountains. I'm sorry. I'm out east. It, it's in the woods, and they're not really mountains. But I knew the adults would enjoy just hiking around, digging around through caves, stuff like that. And but I also wanted something for the kids to do. So of course I go overboard because I'm a dude. So I make a scavenger hunt all the way down the trail, like a mile down the trail. And of course, it's way bigger than what I thought it would be. So um, I finally had to call in reinforcements and a good friend of mine grabbed his headlamp and we went the night before we were going to go hiking and we finished this laying out this scavenger hunt off the trail, uh, a mile of the trail for kids. So that they would be entertained and have something fun that kind of disengaged them. Well, the parents could sort of mill about the trail and work their way down, watching their kids have fun. That tends to help fathers relax, know that their kids are having a good time, and then it kind of gives them permission to just sort of stroll and let their minds think about, to reflect on on where their life is, wherever it was for each of those. And everybody bailed, like the night before or the morning of, and... I went from 15 people coming to nobody showing up. But then at the last minute, several people found out about it. And we wound up with about 14 people who showed up. And it was a bunch of kids. And and I think everybody had fun. And then a few days later, I organized another hike. And it was farther away. It was a, close to an hour away from where I am. I don't remember how many people came. I think it was like 32 people. And we had a great time. And it was just us going out hiking. And it wasn't even about the hike. It was just about that we were all out seeking a little bit of solitude and nobody was in each other's business. And we just strolled along and we admired the waterfalls and we admired the trail and the birds and the sound of rocks under our feet. And solitude is valuable. So I don't know when the last time is that maybe you sat on the edge of a beach, a beach without four-wheelers racing up and down it, just a quiet beach or a mountain stream or a valley in the mountains. Or if you live in a city, maybe only a city park is the closest access you have to solitude. Something involving the natural world that tucks you away from the man-made world and lets your mind be quiet, be still, and reflect. And I cannot stress that enough. Whatever it you have at your disposal... And I covered this in the natural world, two episodes. Whatever you have access to, whatever, don't see it as limitations. These are options that you have. And whatever it is, that's what it is. And it's okay. You can make do. And if it's, for all I know, maybe you have disabilities. And maybe mobility is not the easiest thing for you. And maybe just sitting outside in the dark, looking at the stars does the same scale of solitude for you as if going away to a monastery somewhere. Personally, for me, I'm not into monasteries. I wouldn't, I'd rather stick a fork in my temple than do that. 
Nothing against necessarily monasteries. It's just not my cup of tea. But with solitude, I think because I was blessed to have the growing up that I did out west, along the Rockies, in the Rockies, I learned the value of solitude. And I learned how it kept me sane. It kept me emotionally balanced. Well, not so much physically balanced, but the getting there definitely kept me physically balanced because it kicks my butt. So it kept me in good shape to go seek solitude. But like emotionally and mentally, it it was like uh, giving your emotions and your mind a bath. A lot of times it was, uh, I would go find a stream. I just, I knew where all the small streams were because I jerked brookies out of them all the time. And little tiny browns that never had a brown trout that never had a chance to get that big because the streams froze over in the winter. I learned a long time ago to make myself in times of stress or times of hardship, I would go find a remote mountain stream. And that wasn't that difficult where I lived, where I grew up. And I would go sit and I did not want to sit. Like you have that nervous energy and you bring it with you from city life. The hustle and bustle, it gets into your bloodstream and you kind of have to let it detoxify out of your bloodstream. And I would make myself sit still. And I would find just a remote mountain stream, sit down on the on the grass next to it. And there's nothing within miles. And these are just little streams, maybe five to 15 feet across, you know, maybe a foot deep in the deepest spot. Just a place just big enough that you can catch brookies in and you can catch as many as you want. And every once in a while, there'd be a hog-sized brown like in a pool. And he just lived off the brookies. But I would make myself sit down next to the river where I could hear the a stream, not even a river, but just a stream where the water kind of plays that symphony that only water can, that only falling water can make. And I don't know why that is, but I I think it has some connection with heaven. And I've always thought that. But the sound of gently falling water, there is something soothing about it. And I would sit down and I didn't want to sit there, but I would make myself sit there and I would just sit still, do nothing, just sit there with my legs crossed, just look at the water, look around. Maybe there's elk in the meadow or maybe a stray moose that comes tromping through like a bulldozer. If you've never run around moose, they are like bulldozers. They're blind as bats, and they just mow down everything in their path. And they're actually pretty comical until they almost step on you. But uh, that's a tangent, so I'll skip that. But anyway, I would sit next to the water, and it's just a really soft sound. If you are blessed to live in a place where you can find gently falling water, you know exactly what I'm talking about if you've ever taken the time to sit next to it. And if you sit next to that water... You'll hear the water, and you'll keep hearing the water. But there is a point, and I've tested this on on hundreds of men, so I know it works. If you sit there until you no longer hear the water, you'll just they'll they'll come a point where you almost kind of it's not hypnotic, but there's a point where your brain lets go, and whatever stress you brought with you from city life to that, or from life in general. You don't have to live in the city to have stress. But whatever stress you brought with you, there's a point where you no longer hear the water. And when you stop hearing the water, eventually you'll kind of come back to your senses and you'll realize that your head is completely empty. And I think it is the most 
it is a, a thing of wonder to me about life. And that is one of the most therapeutic things I know. And it's why I, I have built so many little water features to put on my porches, things like that over the years, is because there is something about the sound of gently falling water. And when you no longer hear the water, it's like somebody, it's a white, like if your head, your mind is a whiteboard, somebody took a rag and wiped all the ink off. And then when you come back to your senses, the whole world is fresh and clean. And you kind of go back to being a child. And life is good right then. And then pretty quickly, your your world starts spooling back up inside your head. But that's the sort of thing that solitude does. And for some reason, right at that moment, it's really easy to prioritize what's going on in your life. What's the junk? What's toxic? What's healthy? Uh, what adds to you? What takes away from you? And, and it's really clear. I say that to stress the importance of solitude. If I had a dollar for every hour I have just sat next to a beautiful lake fed by glaciers, it's super high, not super high, but like high altitudes, 13,000, 14,000 feet, I've got a fishing, a fishing you know, rod or fishing string, something. I intended to fish, but I decided that really wasn't why I was there. I was there to unwind and unpack my head. And I didn't need to fish. I needed to just sit and look at the reflection in the water and watch the clouds above go by in the reflection of the water. Stare into that deep emerald green pool and watch little golden trout go by and, and get lost for a little while. And the world just disappeared. I don't know if you've ever, there used to, there was a movie that came out a long time ago. I think it was called For Love of the Game and it had Kevin Costner in it and he was a baseball pitcher. And when he got on the mound, he could hear all the noise of the stadium, all the hecklers, all the coaches trying to send him signals, the, the, the catcher sending him signals. And he would stand on the mound and it would become overwhelming for a minute. And then he would say, to himself, clear the mechanism. And the whole, everything would go quiet, suddenly. All he could see was the catcher's mitt, and that was it. He ignored the batter, all the noise, and everything, and all he could see was the catcher's mitt, and he knew he had to put the ball in that catcher's mitt. Sometimes we need to go clear the mechanism. In fact, I would argue that regularly we need to go clear the mechanism, because if we don't find solitude, I've discovered over the years that men have taught me that a lack of solitude in our life our lives ultimately leads to isolation. That is what I have found to be the like the greatest cause of isolation is a lack of solitude. And so if we don't take momentary times to go be still, be quiet and reflect, we are going to find ourselves isolated because without solitude, burnout is inevitable. We are going to burn out. And when we burn out, we don't want anything to do with people. We don't want anything to do with the world. And we isolate ourselves. We put up the walls. We climb inside the walls. And we tell the world, no trespassing. And, and that is a terribly destructive way to live. And I would argue that that's not what you were created for. We were created to be relational beings with each other. So today I was at work. And, and this is a real short story. We, we have a production meeting every Monday. And we, we're sitting in our production meeting. The meeting got done. Um, it's a little bit like getting dental surgery, sitting through the meeting. But after the meeting, one of the women who in our, she's like a director in our company, she likes backpacking and she knows I'm from the West. And so she started talking about Yellowstone and she said, 
are you familiar with the Yellowstone area? I said, not, not immensely because it was just too many people. I stayed away from it. But the areas around it, I've haunted all that area because it's beautiful. I just don't like the crowds of Yellowstone personally. So it's not worth it to me to go plunge into that. It's like being at the mall with geysers. And so, which would be kind of cool. Maybe we could have a mall with geysers. But anyway, when she she pulled this map out of her like little bag, and the, the minute she unfolded that map and laid it on the table, I just drifted off. I went back home. I stared at that map without saying a word. All I, I just found myself drawn to it. I saw a map covered with nothing but public land. And I know the ter- I, I, like I know the topography there. I know the terrain. And it's rugged and it's vast and it's savage. And you can get eaten and mauled and attacked. And if you smell like bacon, you're toast. Well, that's kind of a dumb way to put it. If you're bacon, you're dead. Well, at least you're going to get dragged around and tossed and beat up some. Because anybody who smells like bacon up in that part of the world, you got problems. So, and it's hard to wash bacon off in icy cold water of like rivers. So it just kind of sticks with you the whole trip. So anyway, but in looking at that, you know, she's, I could see the hunger in her face for solitude. For her and her her, uh, boyfriend, fiance, I'm not sure what their status is, but. But as I looked, you know, I mean, she was stressed out trying to figure out how to get into Yellowstone to go backpacking. And and I'm just looking at that map and I'm thinking, you know what? You don't need to go to Yellowstone to get away to backpack. That's where everybody's going. You know, and then I see the Snake River down at the bottom of the map. And I'm like, you know, just go to the Snake River. Just go to that beautiful river basin. Compared to where we live... You could drop me out of a helicopter, preferably low to the ground, and leave me there for a month without protest. I can feel the grass on the bottom of my hands. I can hear the water. I can smell the air. I can hear the sound of the the wind, the breeze blowing through the aspens, the the smell of the the spruces, uh, the crunch of the needles underneath my boots. The sound of a trout splashing while I jerk his fanny out of the water and put him on a stick to cook him over some coals next to the stream um, and have the best fish in the world. And and I, I, I that was 11 o'clock this morning. It is now 9.30 p.m. My head is still in the Snake River Basin. Down in that river bottom, that beautiful, clear water, that is the power of solitude. So I did not haunt that area a lot, but I haunted a thousand places just like it. I stayed away from the people. The Snake River tends to come with people. If I'm getting away from stuff, I want to be away from people, um, unless it's the people I'm with, and and then that's cool. But But that remote solitude, it is so valuable, and I've not had much of that coming to this part of the country because it's so hard to find. You know, I mean, I can go get momentary solitude till some jack wagon with a Bluetooth speaker shows up playing Black Sabbath, which is just a gross violation of the natural world because that person's not there to be in the natural world. That person is there to violate the natural world. And that's what it is. And I just want to rip the knife off the strap of my backpack and go after him. That's a joke. But 
But it's such a violation when you're lost in the natural world and you hear something so profane enter it. And maybe you're a fan of Black Sabbath. That's fine. I don't care. But it has its place, maybe. But it's not next to a waterfall in the natural world where where the rhythm of the natural world moves with the rhythm of the human body. And I'm not some new ager or something like that. There is something in the way God made us and the way God wired us that is deeply in tune with an unmolested natural world. And I, I'm, now I sound like some kind of psycho-globalist, but that's not me. It's just the natural world. I don't have an agenda, except that I wish I could take everybody into it because it changes who you are. And it is such a blessing to go see it, to go dive into it. If you are not setting a time aside time for solitude, you have no idea what you're missing. It could be stringing a hammock up in your yard on your property. You know what? If you're just broke and you're living in an apartment, and you ain't got two sticks to rub together, buy a $15 hammock and put it on your back porch. Look at the stars at night when everybody else has gone to bed. Get out there when it's quiet. Look at the stars. You can do that without without transportation. You don't need to take any food with you. You know what? And if you can't buy a hammock, throw a towel on the ground. Lay on the lay on the porch and look at the stars. Get up on the roof and look at the stars. Do something that gives your mind a chance to disengage. Be quiet and reflect on on where you're at in your life and where you want to go. Cast a vision for where you want to go. And in those moments, you can see that. And if we don't do that as men, we are going to get so caught up. The longer we go without solitude, the smaller our world becomes. It's an ironic, self-destructive cycle. And our world becomes so small that we start to think that what we're doing is hauling live organs or saving lives. We're not. It, we're not. I, I face it every day in, in the job I do, and there's nothing I do that's an, an, like an actual emergency. Nobody's suffering from an arterial bleed. I'm not carrying live organs. I'm not doing a medevac flight. There's nobody's life on the line in my line of work. But the longer I go without solitude, the more I believe that it is. And that's true of whatever you do. It doesn't matter if you're a banker, if you work at the paint store, if you do retail, if you sell clothes at Dillard's, it doesn't matter. Pretty soon, without solitude, you start to think that if you're not there to do your job, the world's going to implode. And that's a bunch of horse crap because it's not going to implode. And what you do is not rescuing the world. You may have a job that does rescue the world, and I don't want to downplay that. But you too need solitude because the stress load is immense and you get lost in it and you will you will automatically exaggerate your own importance. Your, you will elevate your own status to where you are something other than disposable. And I don't personally mind being viewed as disposable. I like to remind myself of that because it tells me, you know what? I am disposable. I can be replaced. I will be replaced. There was somebody here before me. There'll be somebody here after me. Whether I own my own business or I work for somebody else, that is true. Why would I want to make it the number one goal in my life to do that job? Like I do my job to the best of my ability every day. But when it's time to disengage, it's time to disengage. 
And I need to go take care of myself and find some solitude. And I have to do that now in small bites, in small areas that are not that remote and they're not savage. There's no wild beast going to come bite me. Um, It's really tame. I might get a blister. But I would prefer a little more rugged than that, a little more risk than that. It's just not here. Go find some solitude. If you're not doing that, go do it. If you are stuck in a in this rat race, mind screw that makes you think that what you're doing is so important that if you stopped it, somehow the world's not going to continue. Your world's gotten too small. You need some solitude. Reset that perspective. You're not saving the world. You're not saving the world. You can impact a small circle around you, but you're not going to save the world. And what you're doing is not so important that the world's going to fall apart without it. It was here. Things change. If you're young, get used to it. Things change. I know you think you're going to save the world, but it's a little ambitious. It's a little ignorant. And it's okay. You don't have to save the world. Just make a difference where you are. But you need solitude to do that. And if you don't pursue solitude, you're going to find yourself isolated and then What good are you to anybody? You're not. And you're going to think you're doing the right thing and isolation is blinding and it just feeds itself. It's a feedback loop that tells you that you need to stay isolated because the world is not worth anything and the people in it are not worth anything. Those are lies because people are valuable. You're valuable. They're just as valuable as you are. But the longer you stay checked out, the longer you deprive people of giving them of having a chance to make their world better for you having been in it. Solitude gives you an opportunity to go remember who you are, what you stand for, what your values are, what your constitution, your personal constitution, what words are written on that page. So my head is still stuck in the Snake River right now. And that is how powerful solitude is because it makes me just yearn to be back west. And I'm too far to drive right right now with my budget. I, I, I would load the pickup up right now and disappear if I could. And I would be not in the Snake River because there's 8,000 people there. But I would be in a river basin just like it. Just not there. Because I know what that's like. And I know how healing that is. And not for a lifetime. But for as long as it takes for me to put myself back together to know where I'm going. And then when I return to this insanity of the unnatural world, the man-made world, I know who I am, where I'm going, why I can stand there, why I make the decisions I do. I know what I want, what I don't want, what I'm willing to put up with, and what I'm not willing to put up with. All those things become abundantly clear, but it takes solitude to get there. So please go get some solitude. Start making it. Start scheduling it. Do something. But break away from the, the man-made world and find some solitude and you will find some peace. And without it, you're going to drive yourself nuts. You're going to drive yourself insane. And that isn't going to do anybody any good, especially you. So anyway, I hope that you have a great day and I will catch you on the next one.